0: Hi,
1: and welcome to our podcast called Asking Better Questions. My name is John Newsham.
0: And I am Shane Chen. We're just two friends encouraging one another to see God more.
1: We want to improve the questions that we ask. It's not a goal, it's a journey. The purpose of the journey is to learn and grow in God and to know Him better. And we'd also love to take you on that journey with us. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. We can't promise that we'll be able to answer them, but we will try to have a conversation about them. You can send those to askingbetterquestionspodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram at Asking Better Questions Podcast.
0: So, Pastor John, we have been doing a podcast, and you know it's been eleven episodes in. This is our eleventh episode. And what are some other podcasts that you like listening to? Well, there's uh, a few different churches that put out podcasts that I listen to,
1: um, and so I, I enjoy listening to a, I, I guess in that context, a normal sermon. Um, uh, just from random places around the world, uh, and I do a lot of that while I'm driving. Um, But the one that's really intrigued me recently uh, is Tim Mackey, who does The Bible Project. Uh, He has quite a few different ways of putting out podcasts, and I've been really enjoying listening to him. Um, What about yourself? What do you
0: like listening to when it comes to podcasts? Well, I really enjoy listening to Asking Better Questions, But other than that, (laughs) um, I actually um, listen to a lot of uh, preachers from around the world and yeah, like famous, really famous people uh, like Stephen Fertig or Brian Houston and and people like that. But I also um, sometimes I go exploring into some smaller churches and I like to listen to what's happening in a small country town in the middle of nowhere. So I actually go looking for and see what are they doing, what are um what is how God is moving in their churches. And um it's just it's just fun for me just to figure out what where people are at. And yeah, I just um I probably don't listen as much podcasts as you do because you probably have a lot of time driving Uber. Um but yeah, I, I get here and there, whatever I can listen to I do. Yeah. Fantastic. Well,
1: we're excited today, as we uh, as we record this, that we're going to be answering our first international question. I guess for any of our listeners that are not living in Australia, most of our questions so far have been international. But for us, this one's the first one that's international. And so <laughs> yeah. we've got a, a question that's come from America, uh, the United States. And, uh, and so that's really exciting. And so before we get to that, though, we're going to do our first segment which is called Random Scripture, and this is where we flip the Bible to a random page and we read a few verses that catch our eye on that page and we then have a discussion about that verse and let the discussion take a life of its own. God can speak to anyone from any scripture at any moment, so for your sake, we don't want to get stuck on our favourite verses, we want to uh, spice it up a little bit. So, whose turn is it today to flip the scripture, Shane?
0: I think it's yours, Pastor John. Go for it.
1: Okay, well, I'm just going to shut my Bible so that I can open it again. And we've opened to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll start at verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So that's verses 1 and 2 from 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
0: That's a great verse, Pastor John. Um, I, I love it. And you know, it, it just talks about, you know, don't um, never give up and don't, you know, trick people into anything. Just say the word, God's word as it is. And it is the truth and it is the truth that sets people free, right? And I just love the concept of that.
1: Yeah, and so obviously this is also talking specifically to uh, people that are preaching and teaching. And so it's talking about uh, not using the word of God to manipulate or to control people, but rather uh, to just be true to God's word. And I think uh, if you look through history, uh, there's a lot of examples where people have used the fact that they know God's word to manipulate other people. Yeah, And this is describing that as shameful. And, and I think that's important to remember that uh, if we find ourselves in a situation where we are responsible for helping other people understand God's word, it actually then falls on us to try to do that with God's character. Mm. Not just to teach the word, but also to demonstrate who God is. And I think that's the, you know, I'm taking this obviously way out of context. I'm not saying this is what the scripture says, but we look at the life of Jesus where we had God's word. We already had scripture. We already had God speaking to us written down, but Jesus came in flesh because us reading in a book doesn't, doesn't seem to answer all the questions. Us knowing the right words doesn't seem to answer all the questions, and so one of the reasons that Jesus came was to show us what God is like and so we now by looking at Jesus understand him and he's then passed on that ministry to us and so it's important for us to make sure that as we teach we
0: also find a way to show people who God is. So I think the most important thing you know out of this is that when we are going out and preaching and teaching or whatever we're doing, we want to make sure that Jesus Christ is the center of it all, not us. It's not about self yeah. or how good you are or anything like that. And I think that's, the, that's what the verses are talking about, that we, we constantly look at ourselves and think, okay, what I'm doing, is this glorifying me or glorifying God? If it's in any way glorifying me, then I'm doing a wrong thing. And that is not good. And so uh, we want to be people who actually strive to um, follow God and make sure that Jesus is the center of everything that we do. We don't want to say, oh yeah, it's it's all about God, but have my own way. We want to make sure that this is about God. This is the truth that uh, God has given us. And we're not changing anything just to suit ourselves. We're not changing words to suit ourselves and we're not um doing things that would bring benefit to us we're not just saying hey look at me how amazing i am it's about hey look at god how amazing he is and what he has done in my life and i think in this like what god is trying to say to us is let's give all glory to god in whatever we have in whatever we do because at the end of the day you look at it he created this world And everything in it belongs to Him. So how can we possibly say, this is what I have done for myself. God has created you. And you might have worked really hard in your life. You might have done uh, some amazing things. But at the end of the day, we need to be people who give glory to God and not to ourselves. I think that's something that's really important. And so when we go out to preach or to teach or to just even have conversation, are you leaving people with God are you are you constantly giving people God or are you constantly giving people yourself um it's the important question we need to ask us ourselves while we spend time with people in any way or form
1: yeah that's right so in the context that this is this verse is placed into uh it, it's talking about the fact that we're actually n- People are not going to understand what God's really saying. The message is veiled. The message is not going to be understood. And so, uh, you know, we're we're putting it forward clearly is the phrase that's used here. We're setting it forth plainly. And the hope then is that people will be able to, will be able to understand what we're saying because of the clarity that we speak with. But underlying that, there's also an understanding that they're not going to understand everything we say. They're not going to understand lots of what we say. If we're speaking God's word, because they need actually to see in Jesus for them to understand God's word. The important part of that that I want to take out for us, though, uh, is that that means we're also not going to understand everything. And so, as teachers, we often start to take that position where we're the one teaching, we're the one explaining, we're the one that knows more or understands more of the scripture. And that might be possible. But True understanding of God's word tells us that we're not going to understand everything of God's word. God is so big, so amazing, so mind-blowing that we cannot hope to understand everything that he says and everything that he does. Yeah. And certainly we're not going to understand all the scripture. And so there's this incredibly long journey of learning and understanding something of God's word and then applying that so that he can reveal more to us. And so as people who step into a role of teaching, it's important to remember there's always more to understand. And I understand things at a certain level right now, but my goal has to be to understand more of God, to understand more of his word, to understand more of his character, and and then to keep digging into that. And then as I teach that, to understand not everyone around me is going to understand everything I say, and I'm not going to get everything right, but I have to try my best to keep learning and keep growing so that what I say is the most accurate it can be and to find myself in that way to be teaching faithfully to God's Word. And so if people reject what I'm saying, it's possible that it's because I'm completely wrong and I need to sort that out. But the, the hope is that if people reject it, it's because it's truth that they can't yet understand, in which case we can have that conversation or we can let time pass, however that looks, but not to take rejection personally because people will always reject God's word. And people might reject it because they're rejecting God or people might just reject it because they're not ready for it yet and they've got some other understanding that they have which what we're saying doesn't seem to line up with. And so, so that's always possible that people are going to reject it. It's likely that people are going to reject it. And we faithfully deliver God's word the simplest way and the most... Uh, carefully protected way that we can to make it the truth
0: of who God is represented by our words. Awesome! So, today's question is were the disciples saved? That's a big question and we'll try to answer it to the best of our abilities today and hope you enjoy this.
1: Yeah, so when we're asking about are the disciples, were the disciples saved? Uh, that opens a few cans of worms for me because obviously uh, we're talking past tense and there's a degree of which salvation in the Bible is talked about in a future sense, future tense uh, but also there's several phases of life that the disciples go through and and so uh, if we're asking the question, Were they saved before they met Jesus or were they saved while they were following him before they understood who he was? Or are we saying, were they saved once they understood who he was or once he died, once he was raised from the dead or once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? So there's quite a few gaps in the life there. And so I think if we just take a step back and have a, a conversation about what salvation is, then we can probably have a better look at that question.
0: Yeah, so salvation is uh an act of being saved from something. In the Christianity terms, um it, it talks about um being saved, accepting God, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which is something a common term we use in our churches, and you will be saved. Is that Yeah, that's right.
1: And the name Jesus, uh when he's given that name, that's in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one, it says uh Speaking to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, uh, you know, the the translation that I was reading, most translations say from their sins. I was looking that up in the Greek and I was a little bit confused because it seems to be a singular word in the Greek. And it's a plural word in all the English translations. So that threw me a little bit, but we won't get stuck on that <laughs> one. Um, but the name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. And yeah. so this is one of the first... References in the book of Matthew, not the first, but one of the first references in the book of Matthew to uh, the fact that Jesus is the Lord, which is from the original uh, from the Hebrew language uh, translated as Jehovah. That's the same uh, context. That's the reference that Matthew's making here. So it's it's aligning Jesus saying that he is God in in the language that we would use, but he's being called the Lord saves for he will save his people from their sins. And so the goal of salvation seems to be that the Lord will save us from sin. That's what salvation sort of prophetically gets spoken as, as we're talking about Jesus' life.
0: So salvation in Christianity terms is about having a degree of faith and believing um, that God is your saviour and you will be saved. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 9 to 10, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So there's you know, two things that you need to first believe in your heart and then also you need to make it public it says by openly declaring to to people that you are saved so at the start of that statement you said in
1: christianity this is what salvation looks like and i think that's important because the scripture you've just read you've actually quoted uh, in that scripture that scripture quotes from joel the book of joel chapter 2 and verse 32 where it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord." will be saved, which is the, the end of the little bit that you read there. Yeah. And that statement is made in the context of the old covenant. Yeah. And so that's part of the problem we have with this question is we're talking about salvation in the Christian context and it's very, we're very quick. It's it, right up front. We're going to say Jesus is the only way to the father. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Um, and uh, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved is in the book of Acts. And so we look at that and and because we're taking the Christian perspective, because we're looking at that in this time frame, we're automatically saying Jesus is the only way for salvation. Yeah. And I'm happy with that statement. The problem we have with it is that not everyone was born under the new covenant. And so then we open up The other can of worms, which is what was salvation? What did salvation look like before Jesus walked on the earth? So, this is where we get into a little bit of trouble because it's very, it's like we're walking on incredibly thin ice in this discussion. And I'm very aware of that because I'm saying up front, Jesus is the only way to salvation. But that's in this context that's right now. And before Jesus came, it seems like people still received salvation, but not in the same context. And so we can look at the book of Hebrews, where there's a list of people who, by faith, did great things. And we're talking about faith in this this statement. They did great deeds by faith. They did great accomplishments, or they, they went through difficult circumstances and held on to God through faith. And you know, when it talks about Noah in that context, it actually says that he became an heir of righteousness by faith, by by choosing to obey God, by choosing to do things God's way instead of his own way, instead of the way that made sense to him, instead of the way that everyone else was telling him to do it. He did things the way that God wanted him to do them. And as a result, he became an heir of righteousness. And so within that context all of the people who lived in the old covenant that lived by faith still received the reward of faith and that is righteousness and now we know that the only way to attain that is through faith in jesus and it's it's almost like there's always only been one way but it was a different way at different times through history And so for Adam and Eve, the only way for them to have obtained righteousness would be to obey God and not eat the fruit. But then if we go forward to Noah, it was by obeying God and stepping out in faith and building the ark that he received salvation. Yeah. But for Abraham, it was being willing to obey when it was going to cost him the thing that was most valuable in his life and in his future and putting God before that as an act of obedience that he received his righteousness, which is the salvation. He was saved from his sins in that sense. And so at all times through history, there's been different ways, different methods, but it's always only been one way. And I know though that, that statement seems to contradict itself, but there's always only ever been one way. And now in this age, that way is Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, in John chapter 3... Um John the Baptist, um, at the very end of this chapter, uh, verse 36, he says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. I just thought that verse was very profound. too. This is the start of Jesus' ministry. And here he is, John the Baptist, saying to people already, that you need to believe in Jesus or you will never inherit eternal life. And anyone who does not obey him will never experience God's glory and you know and, and will be under God's angry judgment. So I just think that you know that's just to start off with where the disciples saved. Well we need to start at the moment when Jesus called the disciples to follow him. Did they take a step of faith to say, I'm going to leave everything behind? And I believe they did. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to follow the Son of God. And the Bible talks about, you know, uh, when there there has been discussions and you know, Jesus tells people like, um, I think it was Peter who said, you know, uh, Jesus said to him, who do you think I, I am? And he said, you're the Son of God. And he said, uh, it is not you that has revealed that to to yourself. It is um, the Spirit that has revealed it to you, and I believe that is also very profound. That the Holy Spirit was already at work because they they actually took a step of faith, and I believe in that moment when they started to follow and obey God, that was the moment of their salvation. And there's the, there's a two different contrast to it because there's a whole heap of argument. When were the disciples actually saved? Was it at that point when they started following God um or was it at when they actually received received the Holy Spirit before Jesus left the earth and and when God gave them the Holy Spirit they say, "Go out and you know preach the gospel and baptize people and you know they will be saved and those were the instructions so I believe that at the very start in the journey following Jesus, the disciples were saved.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the the act of faith, the stepping out, the obedience to the call of God, seems to be throughout Scripture the time where people receive righteousness by faith, which is essentially what salvation is. There's There's more to it than that, but that's the essence of it. And so we were having a discussion before we started recording this, Shane. And we were uh, talking about Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith. And we were talking about what they did. And, and uh, I, one of us mentioned the, the idea that they were saved by faith. And the, the question was sort of posed, does it actually say in Hebrews chapter 11 that they were saved by faith? And we sort of had a bit of a quick look. I couldn't see it in there. And, uh, and as we're talking about that, I just went back to read the end of chapter 10 and the end of chapter 10 says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Yeah. And so then it goes on to give the examples of what faith looks like. And immediately before it says, now faith is, it gives this description of this, this tension there's a point where people seem to be on the right track, but then there's a test. And at that point of the test, they either shrink back, or or in that sense, they, they give up or they quit. Or the other option is that they believe or they trust, yeah. and in that sense, they have faith. And by doing that, they're saved. And so... Although I don't have any issue what you've said about the disciples being saved because they chose to obey and follow Jesus, I, I think that's fine. I think that's good. And there was a great deal of sacrifice and test at that moment. They, some of them left their businesses. Uh, they left their families. They left uh, other, you know, you were talking about John the Baptist. Two of John the Baptist's disciples left because Jesus called them to follow him. And so they stopped following John the Baptist, who was the one who God had sent before. And so all of that happened. That's great. But then there was other tests that came further down the track. And so were they at that point going to shrink back or go forward? And so we can ask the question about Judas when he was faced with the test. Is he going to continue to trust Jesus? It seems that he was more interested in what he could get out of it. and, And possibly even in his method of salvation that he wanted God to take rather than trusting Jesus and the way Jesus was going to do it. And so he shrank back and it seems that he might have been destroyed. Yeah. Um, we can look at Peter who stood in the courtyard while Jesus was being illegally tried and uh, sentenced to death. And while he was there, people were coming to him and saying, oh, you're with Jesus, aren't you? And he shrank back. But yet there was that moment later on where he didn't actually shrink all the way back. He, he shrank back and then he returned and in that process of wrestling it was the the scenario was the circumstance that was testing him but he came he stayed he he actually held the course even though it looks like he failed and and i'm not going to recommend taking his course of action but but his faith didn't completely disappear he still held on through that despite his own shame despite guilt despite sin he held on in faith and and he was then saved again. And I, I, I use that word very carefully. I know I could get burned at the stake, depending on how I word some of these <laughs> statements. Um, but, but he was at that point tested again, is probably a better way to say it, and passed the test, failed at first and then returned, and then succeeded to pass the test. And so we can look at 11 disciples who when everything was said and done when jesus had been taken away from them had come back to life they were there they were still gathering they were still trying to work it out they were still grieving over his death even though he would promised he was going to come back to life and all of those things were in there but they were still there they were still creating that environment which was following god in their own way and so there's another test that comes and then there's other tests that come and and so there's the continual facing of the tests and I'm not saying that any of us are going to face tests that are equal to that of Adam or Abraham or Noah or anything like that. I'm not saying our tests are as big as that but there's tests that come in our life where maybe we've been praying for something for 10 years, maybe we've been praying Uh, for a loved one to get saved. Maybe we've been praying for a miracle. Maybe we've been just in a really difficult situation with our health and we're believing that God's going to come through and we get to a certain point where it just seems everything piles in on top of us and all we want to do is give up. At that point, do we choose to shrink back and lose that salvation or do we hold on and trust and believe and then we're saved? And so... Uh, it's not a precarious situation. I don't walk around in fear every day of losing my salvation, but I know there's been times in my life where the test came and I chose to walk away from God and then I know there's times where the test came and I chose to walk towards God. And if in that time of shrinking back, if that time of pulling back, I choose, that's enough for me, I've had it, I don't want this anymore and I walk and I just say, I'm turning my back on God, then I'm in a really dangerous situation where, according to what I've read in the scripture, it seems like I'm choosing not to walk in my salvation, but I'm choosing to turn my back on God.
0: Great. So let let me just um, talk for uh, about this for a second. You can be used by God, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are saved. And there's some examples in the Bible. For example, Judas he was used by God now he went out with other disciples and he performed miracles and you know he cast the demons he did all of that those kind of things and and you can use him look at him as a disciple as a disciple who wasn't saved and we can have a lot of discussions around it or you can go and look at Joseph's brothers and how they sort of um, in the position that they put Joseph how that affected their salvation and there's a lot of thing w- ways you can go about it but yes god can use people that but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are saved that's something we need to uh think about and point out like um because i have had many people in my life that would come to me and they they're being nice or anything but i can see looking back that god used someone in a different way to help me at one stage in my life and that person never had a faith in Christ whatsoever and I just love the fact that God can use anyone but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved and I would just like to it just amazes me about just the word salvation I know we talked about um, salvation and we introduced salvation but is this something that Salvation is, you know, God saving us from harm and God saving us literally from hell. That's what salvation, like it becomes really real that if I don't have salvation, I could be going to hell and that's somewhere I don't want to end up and I, I really want to focus on God and be like, hey God, I need my salvation I and there's a lot of people that are lost out there and And the reality is they are going to hell if they don't receive their salvation. And the the only way, as Pastor John mentioned before, is through Jesus Christ right now. And we need to actually go out, reach out to people, and make sure that they get saved. And as disciples of God, that's what we're walking towards. That every day we're making sure that we position ourselves where people can get saved. And we might have different ministries, but our end goal is that we want as many people that we know being saved in our lives. So, yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad at the middle of all of this that you and I don't have to judge, Shane. Um, the The concept of all of this, and obviously it's complicated, obviously it's multifaceted, and and at some stage... God is going to draw the line and say this is the judgment that I've cast and we know that at that point his judgment will be based on his mercy it'll be based on his love it'll be based on his grace but it'll also be based on justice and so no one when we look back on history will be able to say God did anything wrong and I know when we're looking forward That often we look at things and it's hard to tell, it's hard to understand, and we question God a lot. And part of faith is when those questions coming up say, I'm going to choose to trust God rather than to trust everything else. And when it comes to judging, judging, we can trust Him. We can trust Him that if we've spent our life desiring to be with Him, that that will be our reward. And if we've spent our life desiring to never be with him, that will be our reward. He will give us what we want. He will give us the desire of our heart at that moment. Yeah. And so I'm glad that I don't have to sit in that throne and make those judgments. I'm glad that I don't have to uh, look at the eyes of people and try to work out whether or not they're saved. I can do my best to read the scripture. I can do my best to understand it. I can pray into it. The Bible talks about each person working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And there's this concept where we actually have to look in and say, am I following Jesus? One of the podcasts I mentioned earlier that I listened to, Tim Mackey, and I heard him talk about uh, a description of whether or not someone would be considered to be part of the church and often we think of it as like a a certain value that if you have the right surname or if you have the the right uh the, the right pass to get in that it's a, a set group and so that would be like if we organize a family reunion who do we invite well you invite family and it's a very simple question are they related and depending on how big we want to make it is to how loose that description is. So it starts off, do we all come from the same parents? And so then it would be my parents and my brother and my sister. And then you would include spouses. And and so you, you sort of draw that line. And by saying the phrase, we include spouses, it automatically says that person, that person, that person, they're in. Um, but to not say that makes you ask the question, does it include, can we bring, is there a plus one Do we bring our kids? Those sorts of questions. And once you answer those, those people are in. But it seems like the Christianity that the Bible describes is more like the question, is someone a musician? And so in that case, uh, if someone has no interest in music and doesn't play an instrument, then they're out. If someone loves music but doesn't play an instrument or do anything like that, then to define them as a musician wouldn't be correct. But someone who is passionately involved with learning or developing their skill with an instrument, you would say they're probably a musician or at least they're on the path to being a musician. If they're making money from it, then yes, they're, they're a musician. But the, the context of someone who used to be a musician and decided they're going to put their guitar right in the cupboard and never play it again, because something's happened and they've decided that's it, I'm done, I'm no longer going to play that, you can no longer define them as a musician. But someone who has only just picked an instrument up and they're they're determined that they're going to practice it, they're going to learn it because one day they're going to try to make money out of this, then you'd say, well, they're a musician. Now, the person who's no longer a musician is a much higher level of skill at music, but They're not on that path. They're not interested in it. And so then if you take that back into the context of Christianity, the question becomes, are you walking towards Jesus? Or are you walking away from Jesus? And I actually really enjoyed that description of it because it simplifies a few things. It's not how well behaved I am because if I've come from the worst of worst of worst of sinful situations, and I've chosen at that moment, I'm going to follow Jesus, then a lot of the things might change immediately, but a lot of things are likely to change over the journey of the rest of my life. And so if I compare myself to the people around me, my behavior is not going to measure up at that point. But someone who grew up in a Christian family, grew up in church, grew up in religious culture, and who has learned all of the good behaviors but is now on a path where they're not interested in God, they're not interested in church, they're not interested in scripture, they're not interested in any of those things. They can't define themselves as a Christian, even though their behavior is better than the person who's just come out of sin. Mm. But one person is on a path towards Jesus and one person is on a path away from Jesus. Yeah, And really, I think that simplifies everything. And so in my life, I need to ask the question, am I desiring God? Am I... Wanting to follow him? Am I choosing when the when the test comes, when the choices are performing, am I choosing to follow him or am I choosing to follow something else, either my own desires or the world's temptations or whatever it is? Am I choosing to walk away from him when the options are given or am I choosing to follow him? Am I thinking about finding him in the scriptures? Am I thinking about going to church to meet with him? Or am I just doing a whole lot of religious activities that have no purpose towards God?
0: Yeah, that's big. So, thank you for listening to Asking Better Questions. If you have any questions, uh, please email us at askingbetterquestionspodcast at gmail dot com, or head to our Instagram page, Asking Better Questions Podcast, and send us a DM there. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you in the next one. See you then.